Hey, this is Todd Stacy and Mary Sell. Welcome to In the Weeds with Alabama Daily News. Uh, the return of Mary Sell got so many complaints last week. So many complaints. Uh, <laughs> I, it was still a good show. I listened. It was good. Good, good, good. <laughs> uh, but very happy that you're able to do this week because we have a very special guest who is one of your you know, maybe oldest sources. Not old in, in terms of age, but, but yeah. most, longest serving, maybe. Longest serving. Yeah. When you told me to find some guests, I went back to my Decatur roots for sure. <laughs> so we have State Representative Terry Collins of Decatur. She is the chairman of the House Education Policy Committee and really the subject matter expert on a lot of education issues. So Representative, welcome to In the Weeds. Well, it's good to be with both of you today, and um, I um, I like to get in the weeds. I usually get told by people to get out of the weeds, <laughs> but I like to know the weeds and make sure all those weeds are right. So that's the key to being um, to good policy. Yeah, you know, so much of politics is eight second sound bites, you know, mm -hmm. and and sh small answers and. So we, we like this forum because you can actually answer the question. You get plenty of time to, to spend on whatever issue. And, and so most of the issues that you're involved in, particularly education, are very weedy, very intri intricate and complicated. So thanks for thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm glad to. I'm glad to. I'm glad to talk about education issues. I think we have lots of people talking about education issues these days. And um, I think we're all talking about different things. So it will be good to be in the weeds with y'all. Well, yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, about that? Um, and one of the reasons I, we wanted to have you on the show is because you, you do have that perspective. You carried the charter school bill in 2015 mm -hmm. um, that and, and that bill was several years in the making to, to even get charter schools, a limited number of charter schools in the state. Mm -hmm. And now we've got all these lawmakers. We've got so many new lawmakers talking about school choice, school choice, school choice. And I think it does mean different things to different people. But I think so, too. I know as I've uh, been interviewed, especially a week or so ago um, in school choice week, um, I would remind people we have school choice in Alabama. We, we need to grow it. We need to fund it better. We need to, but we have some, some things already on the books through the charter schools, public charter schools, and then through accountability act, which has, you know, scholarship money going to low income families to give them more choices. Um, and these bills have a lot of accountability in them. They have, you know, we get reports back, we see how they're doing. And as far as I can tell on every single one, they're moving children and student success forward. Some of them are not maybe going as fast as we wish they were, but they're all ahead of their local peers. And that is a good sign. And that's what parents want. And I think that they'll continue to improve as well as all of our schools. I think we've seen a lot of success in the last year um, um, based on Literacy Act and some of the things that we've passed. And we are seeing Alabama students um, make some gains. And that's good. That's what we want. Well, speaking of, um, but before getting further into charter schools and, mm -hmm. uh, and choice, the governor kind of laid out the gauntlet on the issue of education. She made, she set some very lofty goals, very ambitious goals mm -hmm. for Alabama 
students ranking in the top 30, not the 30s, but the top mm -hmm. 30 in the country um, in reading and math. That would obviously be a, a feat. That would but, be wonderful. <laughs> it would yes. be, yes. I mean, and I, I said before, I like goals. I, I, I think mm -hmm. it's, I think it's good to set out goals, but it does seem really ambitious. What needs to happen in your mind? Uh, what, what are a couple of key things that need to happen in order to attain that goal? I think it, to attain the, the scoring goal of, of achievement in the top 30, I think we're going to have to um, continue to push the implementation of the Literacy Act to begin strong with the Numeracy Act, which models a lot of the um, goals that we have with literacy. I think we need to be very smart with our federal dollars that we're getting to overcome the um, pandemic years and use those with interventionists and to try to get those schools that um, are persistently in the bottom to find out what those problems are and to make sure that we're addressing those and fixing those problems. I think if we do those things, that you will see those big gains because I think it'll make a difference. So that that's what I think. It, I think we're on a good track, I guess is what I'm saying. We need to just continue pushing forward. Hmm. What might that look like in legislative legislation in the upcoming session? Well, in legislation, I would like to see us um, maybe continue to push ahead with, with funding issues that have been needed for charters or for the scholarships and 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 grow the choices that we have right there, but also really fund and be smart with our funding um, to make sure that we are implementing the Literacy and the Numeracy Act um, all over to make sure that we're growing that, that we're, um, we continue to fund our um, pre-K, our first class pre-K, because we know it makes a difference. We saw great gains already in our literacy with our students, and that needs to keep pushing forward. Um, it, it's just a continuous push forward. A lot of it is getting all of our teachers with good professional development so that they're teaching at that higher level. And I was with a, um, a, a large group of our universities that have colleges of education last week and um, getting them to use that high quality professional development, even in their undergraduate programs, so that when they come out, um, students are already ready to teach reading and to teach math in powerful ways. We, you're right. You mentioned the, the gains made in reading. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what that strikes me because so much of this is just like turning around a aircraft carrier right it's it's, mm -hmm. it's it's slow you pass the literacy act in 2019 and, and you love to see immediate results but you're not you're not going to it takes so right. long to implement then covid comes but you're right you, you did see especially in the fourth grade reading some really yes. interesting gains there so that's got to be gratifying but do you use that do you say see guys we <laughs> when we do things like this it takes a while but it actually works and here's here's the proof Exactly. And I think if you looked at um, Alabama was one of the only states that had gains in, during those pandemic years. Most states dropped tremendously. And so if we can have gains, 
modest gains even, but have gains in a pandemic year, think what we can do when it's not a pandemic year and we're all working together in the same direction. So I think that's really positive. When we talked about the governor's lofty goals, I wanted to take you back, Todd, when you were in the state house. And, and if you remember in 2012, we passed um, the school grading A through F. How, we, how, how could I ever forget that? Exactly. <laughs> and um, one of the things I said regularly then and continue to say, if we implement it to fidelity, which we still need to work on our, our percentages and our indicators and what weights we use for that for achievement. But that was the starting point when Florida went to that bottom 10% in the nation in 10 years, they went to the top 10%. Mm -hmm. And that, it is slow making those changes, but you've got to hold everybody accountable. You've got to have strong measures. You've got to have high expectations for everybody. And when you have that, then you see those gains because everybody pushes to whatever that line is. And so we want to set the line, set that bar high. Okay. Representative, you're, you're talking about uh, incremental changes. You're talking about, you know, kind of slow and steady. I think mm -hmm. there are some folks uh, coming into the legislature and maybe some of the newer members and some that have been around for a while. They want, they want some big changes as far as mm -hmm. uh, school choice. And, and right. we're talking about education savings accounts. And mm -hmm. I think there's a draft bill floating around that would let people take um, state state funding to a private school or homeschool or wherever mm -hmm. they like mm -hmm. are how how reasonable is how how likely is something like that to actually move in the upcoming session do you think well mary you know we passed that charter school bill in 2015 and it was the first time we'd ever had it so we learned some valuable lessons in 16 17 and if you remember, almost every year since then, I've tried to make some of those needed changes to the yeah. legislation. And, and some of your Republican colleagues have not helped you. Crashed and burned on the House <laughs> floor. So um, I, um, and sometimes I'll think I've got the votes and then it'll change right after lunch. I don't know. It's just <laughs> been um, interesting to watch. So with these new people coming in, I'm hearing those same things you are. I guess I've been disappointed because. People knowing I am an advocate for school choice. I'm also very much an advocate, though, for accountability and mm -hmm. doing things the right way. So I guess I've been surprised that I've not had more people reach out and talk to me about ideas they've got or share with me about policy issues, because I do like to get in the weeds on all that with them. You also um, happen to be the chairman of the policy committee. I do happen to be the chairman of policy committee, and I serve on the Ways and Means Committee. Um, so I've been, I've not been hearing a lot of these. I've heard just like y'all have that they're out there, but I've not seen any, um, pieces of it. I will let you know, um, on the charter legislation, I actually had an excellent meeting. Um, was that this week? It may have been this week with several of the charter commissioners because they also recognize some of the same things. I literally sent them a list of the changes we were trying to make all the way back to 2017 just to get their input and to work with them on that. And so 
I am hopeful that we can actually make some of those changes in that legislation. We made some small changes in the Accountability Act, but some of the things I would like to see us do even in that is that both the Accountability Act, which is the one that uses tax credits for scholarships for low-income children, mm -hmm. and then the charter school is public schools, but they're, we've really now not ever funded them, especially with local money at all. Mm -hmm. And they should at least have equal funding for the local students that are attending that local public school. But this to me, the things that people forget about or ignore is that our charter bill would allow any public school system to become an authorizer, to take the problem schools that they have in their system and to convert those, to make them conversion charter schools and then make some changes with some of that flexibility. And the Accountability Act also had a section at the end that would let any school system ask the Department of Education for flexibility to do innovative things, to do something different outside the box. And no one's using in the systems those two opportunities that we've had all along. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that that each of the systems will look at where are our problems? What do we need to do? And what are some viable options that we already have on the books that we could use and, and fix the problems that we have in our systems? You see, I didn't even um, realize that. You know, I wasn't around when y'all passed all those. Right, right. Um, so I certainly wasn't involved in the details. And so I was interviewing Emily Schultz mm -hmm. on uh, on the show, and um, I, I think I made the point like, well, can't you see some school systems thinking, well, well gosh, we sure would like some of the same, you know, mm -hmm. uh, rule, you know, flexibility, flexibility. yeah, flexibility yes. for that the charters are getting, and she she just looks right at me, and you know how <laughs> she can just kind of yeah. <laughs> like they can, it's in they the can. law. I and, know. And so, I, yeah, I didn't even realize that. It's and one so, of the things that I liked about both is that, yes, here's some flexibility on some things, but we want to give it to all schools, you know, and yet they're not using it. But it is, especially on the charter side, conversion charters, we're seeing a few now in Montgomery and they're having a lot of great success. I, I have always felt like if we would have a few you know, innovative superintendents that would reach out and decide to do that and school boards that it would snowball, that everybody would then want to take advantage of that. So well, you know, there, maybe this will be the year to do it. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people excited about what's happening at that uh, conversion charter feeder system. I mean, mm -hmm. um, it just, it's, it's significant. I've not been there, but our, we've done some reporting on it and uh, it looks really interesting. So, and, and to me, I think that's a lot easier to swallow in terms mm -hmm. of for, for many districts and maybe especially urban districts, like, mm -hmm. you know, this isn't a new school coming in. This right. is a, an existing school, your new accountability, new leadership and all that, but um, they don't see it as, as competition. Um, right. Real quick. I wanted to. Wait, 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 let's go back to the charter school just real quick. Okay. So are you going to bring back representative? Will you bring back the, the local funding charter bill? Yeah. I'll bring back the one that we had back in 17 that did all the changes that made all the different things. I believe I heard this morning as I was following along 
on the state school board that once again, they've asked to be taken out of the appointing process and make it just like all other commissions and boards where those that make all those appointments are the ones that are making the appointments. I think the local funding is critical. I mean, I don't think we're going to get some of those national charter companies that are having success all over to come in until we're funding schools appropriately, at least fairly, at least fairly. Like the, the KIPs of the world? Yes, the KIPs or the different rocket ship or the just any of those nationally you know, those ones that have data that show their their system works. Mm-hmm. And, and most of them continue to operate with less money than a normal, regular public school. But there's less money and then there's drastically less money. And that's the part that we have not been able to get over the hurdle. Well, if you're bringing a bill, um, you're going to have to count some votes. And that's been, as you mentioned, sort of interesting over the years when it comes to choice charters and just really anything on education yeah it seems to be a real fluid vote (laughs) well so and so part of that this year is you've got a lot of new members and i've I've watched this situation over the years i guess since i've been back covering the legislature and groups like the superintendents have Mm -hmm. a a lot of influence because they will go to a, a member a lawmaker and it's look, it's their local superintendent, you know, the guy that or woman that runs the local system um, is telling them, well, I don't like this legislation. It's going to harm me. Right. So they're, they're perceived as like, oh, well, this is the expert. This is the person that I, I need to, to listen to. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's true to some extent. Um, so it just kind of gives them a huge advantage. Um, but eventually lawmakers get enough experience to, to understand, well, no, I'm, I'm actually this is my job to govern right i also am elected by the people <laughs> right and so i guess that's my question is how do you in these kind of conversations get lawmakers especially new ones to be confident in that role confident enough in that role to say well i'm, I'm not just a vassal for a for you know teachers or superintendents or principals i'm here to do a job based on the the, the information that i have Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, is there a confidence level you've got to have? Well, I think there is. And I think there's an understanding. I mean, in the years and, you know, over the last, I don't know, quadrennium for sure. And even before that, a little bit, when you're talking about needed changes in the charter legislation, half, I wouldn't even say half, I would say the majority of the people think I'm talking about the scholarships. I mean, even now, when you ask someone about school choice, you might get a thousand different answers. You definitely would get a different answer for every person that you asked. And so thinking about and trying to be very, you know, and that's what I try to do is I try to get out one page sheets that tell exactly what these changes are, exactly why they're needed and exactly what they'll accomplish. I think the more information we can get to people, the better. I also think, and I had this conversation with someone recently who said, you know, my area just doesn't really need this and we don't really like it. And I'm going to get a lot of pushback. And I said, well, if it's not even going to affect your area, why would you want to interfere in it helping an area? It could really be a life changer for those children. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, they didn't think about it that way. And I'm like, well, 
you know, those are the things. Yes, we all want to represent our districts and we want to do the right thing for our people, but we are also here to govern the entire state and we want to make a difference. We don't ever get out of the bottom nationally unless we pick up our bottom. And, you know, that's one of the things I was proud of on the Literacy Act. I think that first year, well, when we went from that second to that third year of implementation of those, I don't know, I'm going to roughly say 60 schools that were in that bottom 5%, about 55 of them moved out of the bottom 5% because of the intentional work we were doing with those children. And that's our goal is to continue to lift that bottom 5% until our bottom 5% actually looks pretty good. Okay. So look, looking forward to, to the next session, we're only a month out. Um, right. And again, we, we, we've been doing these new member profiles where we talk to all the, the new legislators coming in and school choice is is a big issue for a lot of them. They, they campaigned on it and I assume mm -hmm. they campaigned on it because they knew they heard it was important to, to the folks back home. Mm -hmm. um, last year, Senator Marsh had this massive school choice bill. Right. And, you know, he dedicated a lot of time to that and just couldn't, couldn't get it done. Um, the, I think the school choice movement sort of lost a huge advocate when he didn't run for reelection when mm -hmm. uh, Representative Meadows, your good friend, right. uh, defeated in Montgomery, she was obviously a huge advocate. Yes. Um, and she among, had worked diligently on that bill. She and had, it, it did give, I mean, you know, in, in, I am for school choice. I'm for all school choice. I mean, if you're a homeschool parent and you're giving your time and all, why <laughs> shouldn't for that moment in time, your dollars follow that child? Yeah. I mean, eventually that child's going to graduate and move on. And then those dollars go back to regular. But I understand the need for that. But I also understand the need if it's following that child, wherever that child's going, there needs to be accountability. We need to make sure that that child is having gains year to year, you know, with their education <laughs> and that they're doing well and that they're being monitored by something that has some type of a national, um, uh, you know, it might not be the exact same test that, that the state's using, but that it's nationally recognized and it's got comparable data. And that's you interesting. Growth. It's interesting to hear you say that because, I mean, that's part of where there was some pushback on Marsha's bill last year. Mm -hmm. um, he introduced the bill and then Dr. Mackey asked for some accountability for those homeschool mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. to have, uh, I think it was like yearly testing. And right. The, said no. Yeah. And so they were written out of the bill. They weren't yeah. going to get the money. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm seeing like this, this price bill that's kind of floating around. I think it's called the, the Parental Rights and Children's Education Act. Mm -hmm. um, it specifically says, you know, no, the way I'm reading it, it says there would be no, no government oversight of, of these homeschool groups. And I have kind of heard that, but I have not seen the bill yet. I've not okay. heard about it. But would that be I, an issue for you? We are also responsible for 
taxpayers' money mm-hmm. and making sure that the money is, is, you know, is helping us achieve student gains to me is part of our accountability that we're responsible for. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Ryan Cantrell of the American Federation for Children. Mm-hmm. They're obviously a big school choice and they, and they push bills like this in other states with right. some with some success like Arizona, Florida mm-hmm. and Iowa. And he was saying that in, I think it was in Iowa's case um they they may have started with only the you know only disadvantaged students or underperforming schools or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um because the concern I keep hearing about plans like this, education savings accounts, using mm-hmm. the, the taxpayer money to taking a portion of your tax money to go across the street mm-hmm. is that it's so, so if you, if you enacted it tomorrow, then the, the many thousands of, you know, parents who currently have their uh, child in a private school, you basically just get a tax break and Hey, that's mm-hmm. not, that's nice for them. But is it actually encouraging education the, gains. the goal? Yeah. To get right. students in, you know, disadvantaged schools into better schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, th- I thought that was interesting. He'll, he's going to be on um, education spotlight tonight. Um, but th- is that part of this conversation? It's like, yeah, you say school choice, but if you, if you don't actually get students out of bad situations, what have we accomplished? Right. Oh, right. And if we don't know, that everything we're doing is moving student success forward. That's what I always want to say. I looked at the last of the the Delmarsh and Charlotte Meadows legislation last year, just seeing how it's working. At that point, like Mary said, the homeschool was out. They had asked to be out. Some of them wanted back in. You know, no one agrees on this issue either. But I think they had finally reached around, um, if I remember correctly, they were using that 500% of poverty because that would get all the way through middle class. So if those that truly might not have choice, it would give them more choice, but there were accountability measures built into that. Yeah. So I'll be anxious to see the different things and see what it looks like. Um, I'll be anxious to see if some of these um, different ideas that'll float around will actually encourage the systems we have now to use the options that are already on the table, whether it's conversions or, or asking for innovative flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting education policy year. That's for sure. And I look forward to it. Yeah. We I do think too. The, the students have everything to gain by all of the discussion and all the things we're doing, because if nothing else, it gets parents more involved in the discussion, which should get parents more involved in the children's education. Mm. And that's one of the biggest needs that we have. Well, we're sitting here talking so much about education and you have in, in your years in the legislature, just become a subject matter expert on this. And I, I'm not trying to blow smoke. I'm saying that's that you, you, you made that choice. And I'm kind of curious about that. Cause I mean, we, we can go back to, um, you know, 2011, uh, mm-hmm. going out to you know, education or excellence in education and right. maybe being I mean, both of us. Um, mm-hmm. I was in the speaker's office at the time and sort of being exposed to some of these ideas that other states were doing. But I guess my question is when, when and why did you decide 
I'm going to do, I'm going to do education. I'm going to be the policy person on education, make that something I have a lot of expertise in. Um, did it kind of come up organically or was it a, you know, a, a moment? I, I think it, I think it was probably more organically. I've not really thought about it. I will say I was actually invited to go out to ex, ex, Excel in Ed in 2010. And I remember telling David Powers, he still works with them. I'm not even on a committee yet. <laughs> you know, I, I need to not do that this year, but I think I've been to every other one. And what you learn at any of these conferences, and I go to a lot of conferences because you see what's working in other states and you see what's not. And you know, we we made lots of we learned lots of lessons before we ever passed charter schools to make sure ours were accountable and that ours were had protections that had good boundaries. And so I think in 11, when when we were at that very first conference that I went to there, it was exciting to see. That's where I heard about the A through F when I came back. Yep. You hear Florida schools have gone from the bottom 10 percent to the top 10 percent in 10 years. That's phenomenal. I mean, you look at what Mississippi did with their Literacy Act. And I went to Mississippi. I visited with their Department of Education and their people. I want to learn from those that are having huge success and help our state have those same benefits. And so I guess it was more organic because it was just a, we can do this. I know we can do this and coming back and bringing it and then talking others into it. So, yeah. And I remember that too, because of the, uh, the whole accountability thing, what they said was, look, it, it sounds so simple. A through F grades, how are schools being, you know, just rated and it's just kind right. of a no brainer. I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, but yeah, but, but when you give parents that basic information, Mm -hmm. that, it's hey, been a little more complicated than that, hasn't yeah. it? <laughs> it, it has been, yes. But that was the premise. If you get, if, if parents are empowered with information, mm -hmm. true information about their school, then maybe they'll right. be more engaged in getting, you know, trying to improve it. Right. But when you looked at what Florida did too, first of all, they weighted growth and achievement higher than anything else. And they lifted what it took to get an A or a B or a C. I think in that first 10 years, they lifted it four times. And so we've not lifted ours at all. So we really do need to work on that. And I, I have encouraged the state board. I've truly tried to work with the state board more often and in a better way. And that is all within their ability to lift percentages to weight college and career ready to weight achievement and growth and then to once we're doing well lift that bar and let's do even better and continuing to lift what it takes to get the a the b the c and that's that's how we improve that's how they improved i've seen it work that's how we'll improve interesting can, can i think we acknowledging where you are to me that was the value i saw the very first year six years after I passed the bill, the very first year we actually had <laughs> grades. Um, but what I saw all over the state was people acknowledge, yes, this is showing that we need to work on this and this is what we're going to do to work on that. And then being proud of the things that they were good at. And that is good. But it, seeing where you are and acknowledging here is where we're struggling. How are we going to improve it? 
that's the starting point to get better. Well, Mary, should we switch to wine? Well, <laughs> let me ask. Yes, we should. Figuratively. <laughs> let me ask one more education question. Um, the surplus. There, you not yes. only are you on the education yeah. policy, but you're also on the the budget committee. Y'all are looking yes. at a significant surplus, and I know there've mm -hmm. been talks about various rebates. Um, what what would you like to see? How how are you hoping to see some of that money used? I would like to see some of that money continue to support the things that we know and we have data and we've seen are making a difference. We know that our after school quality after school care is lifting students that are behind. We know that. So I think we need to invest in that. We know summer programming, quality programs for students to catch back up. We've seen it work with literacy. I know with numeracy, it's going to make a difference. We know having an additional auxiliary teacher in a classroom can make a huge difference on, a, on student learning. And we need to grow those things and fund those things that we know are making a difference. Some of those will require sustainable funding. And that's going to be where the challenge is with all this additional money. It won't be here forever. And mm -hmm. so we need to truly use it as an investment. What can we do right now that makes a difference? If we know that early learning and be, having children prepared, then what do we need to do for pre-K? What do we need to do to lift childcare so that the children that are using childcare have quality programs and are, are, even though it's play and it's fun and it's exactly where we want them, but we're stretching those little minds and we're we're providing continue to fund and provide quality child care so parents can go back to work and we know that our children are safe and we know that our children are learning just as if we were with them and so to me those are the things i would like to see us look at what's truly making a difference and let's fund those things to help improve our our student success that's great. Can, can we do some of that and have tax cuts? <laughs> I don't. Rebates? I don't think. I mean, I, I know everybody wants to say a tax cut and I know this will not be popular, but this money is not going to be here. And yeah. let me tell my perspective on that, if I may. Mm -hmm. When I was elected in 2010, mm -hmm. my first budget I worked on in that Ways and Means Committee literally had one billion with a B less money to appropriate that year than we had the year before, than we appropriated the year before. Yeah. We had an 18% proration, which we've not had proration in this last decade. So people seem to forget about that, but it used to be a real thing. And we owed back a half a billion to the rainy trust fund in four years. So ha spending all your money in the year you get it, and then, setting it up to not be successful in the future, I would really like to see Alabama set ourselves up to be successful in the future. If we have a little extra money, let's invest it in things that we know make a difference for our people and use it wisely for them. I mean, if we literally send everybody a little handful of money, 
that doesn't invest it back in our state. And I want to see our state continue to improve. Mm. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch because you're listening to you talk. It's like, okay, yeah, they're talking about checks, $200 to yeah, $400. $500 maybe. Yeah. yeah. That's, which is, hey, that's that's nice money, but, but, but it's not. Yeah. And I'll say of all the money, when we've done the retirement bonuses, that I get half my retirees say, what a waste. I can't believe you'd even do that for just this amount of money. And then there are some that are very appreciative. So it's, but it's not all, it's, it's half and half. And I just like to see us use our money wisely. And we've got so many infrastructure needs that would be wise to use and would give us a tremendous return on that investment for years and years to come. That's what I'd like to see us look at. Interesting. It's going to be, it's going to be a, and I assume that we'll see that legislation any sort of um, pretty early in the, in the session. I think that's going to be. And a we may, I've not, I mean, and that's the thing too, is that we're just now, you know, we're really not there. Sometimes mm -hmm. you've got, almost you can pre-file bills from the time we end until we start. And so this year is different. The first year of the quadrennium, we just mm -hmm. now can start to pre-file legislation. So we've not seen as much yet, but it will be interesting to see. And we've not been together. We have so many new people. It's hard to know what people are going to feel strongly about or what people are going to want to do until we actually get together. We're in a room, we're seeing how, committee discussions are going. Um, and so it will be, we'll learn a lot that first month of session. Absolutely. Well, what else are, uh, we well, were eager to ask if, um, are you, go, you go talking ahead, about Mary. wine? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mentioned wine earlier when we were texting because yes. even though I, uh, even though you didn't sponsor the, um, the legislation that allows folks to just, you know, get a, get a bottle of wine delivered at home from, you know, Instacart or whatnot. I, yeah. I, I do think you deserve a little credit. Well, I did sponsor the direct delivery. That was mine. Right. But you did a lot of work years ago on oh. those wine bills, just the, the direct delivery wine yes. bills yes. That, that, that made the passage of these other bills, I think a little bit easier, but yeah, I, I, I thought of you so. on, I thought of you. Well, and I actually, I, I was the one that worked on the entertainment district um, bill and it's 10 years old now and people are, you know, small towns and, and bigger towns are having festivals and, you know, parades and it's not turned into a terrible thing. It's been a positive impact on cities. So um, some of these things, if you'll do them with the right recross precautions and the right accountability, they actually end up really being a benefit. So we'll yeah. see. My, my question uh, on alcohol policy is, yes, is will uh, high noons be made available <laughs> in grocery stores and, and not just in ABC stores? I actually just asked Curtis Stewart about this, the new ABC administrator. He's like, ask the legislature. So I <laughs> Well, I, I have spoken with some of them. I, I said I was out of the wine business, but um, I, um, 
who knows? We'll have to see what everybody has an appetite are, for. But are we I, looking uh, for a high noon endorsement? Tonight? I don't know. I don't think I'm going to give. I'm not even sure what high noon is. So I'm certainly not going to advocate one way or another. Oh yeah, but, I, uh, that's that's um one from all of my friends who, who like them and um and they you can't get them in Alabama. Well, the, you, I no, could the, soda mixed in a can. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah, and so it's it's only available at liquor stores because okay. it, because it actually contains spirits vodka spirits, rather right. than like you know the white claws or whatever i guess that's kind of malt liquor kind of stuff so yeah. anyway well, but i have to say though on on monday my mother-in-law in huntsville was having a bad day uh -huh. so i quickly was able to send her a bottle of wine delivered to her house uh, and, and i was like thank you representative Collins. you're welcome <laughs> well, and here my mother-in-law thanks you I got three Christmas cards that first year from people I didn't even know that were thanking me. <laughs> so there must have been a lot of people that joined, you know, wineries of the month or whatever. So, but I have, I, it's been, um, I know people don't like to carry alcohol bills and I'm, I guess I don't mind, but, but I, it's been, they're very popular when they're done. So. Well, yeah, we had COVID. And everybody was stuck in their house. They want. Yeah. They needed some wine. That's right. Well, we've we've um, taken a lot of your time, and I really appreciate it. you've been very generous. Is there anything else that you are looking at as this session uh, quickly approaches that you think we need to be kind of paying attention to that maybe has gone under the radar? Well, I had a workforce bill last year that I sailed through the house. It may have been unanimous and got stuck in the Senate, and I'll certainly have it back and it sets up a does three things it sets up a a credential registry that would be credentials of value would be decided by the uh, workforce council so business people and um it would then create a pathway that we could um let parents and students see what those high demand jobs are in their area and what what degree or credential or what they need to be able to, to qualify for those jobs. And then the third thing was that it would actually require, and the state board has done this, so it would codify what they are doing, that in order to graduate from high school, you have to have some type of a college or career indicator so that when you leave high school, you are truly prepared to do something, either to go to college you know, with a dual enrollment or AP credential or a um, scoring, you know, so high on your ACT, or you have actually a credential of value that would let you be ready to go into business. So that bill will be back. Um, like I mentioned, I'm working on those, some of the same charter changes. They're not really, um, I, I've had them several years, so they won't be dramatically different, but hopefully this will be the year to get those through. Um, and then we'll see. I mean, we've done some good things. What I've learned, just like I mentioned, even on the school grade six years later, um, implementing sometimes <laughs> is the hardest part, but most of it, it's about funding. And if we're going to fund things, this is the year to do it because we've got the funding. So that's good. Mm. Yep. Bureaucracy is always fun. Mm. Uh, well, Mary, anything else from you? I, I appreciate your time so much, Representative. Thank you. Oh, I'm glad to. Well, I enjoy speaking with both of you. I look forward to catching up as session goes on. And I would say after the first few weeks, we'll have a lot better idea of where things are going. <laughs>
Absolutely. We'll have to we'll circle back then. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, thanks Sounds again. Good. Okay. Y'all have a great afternoon. Okay. You, representative. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. So representative Collins has left the online studio as it were. Um, he said a good. lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just, and I, I, I know it's maybe annoying to people to reminisce about our, our work together a long time ago, but I mean, just to, to go back to 2011, I mean, um, she, she was not an expert and now can talk for an hour like she just did about all this different education policy stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's um, significant. It is. Yeah. And um, her, her perspective on, on funding the programs that we, we know work, um, that's going to be a really interesting conversation with when they have a $2.7 billion surplus rolling into the next budget year. Yeah. And I'm one of one thing I'm curious about and how this kind of plays out is you've got people on the right, Republicans call them, you know, um, groups, uh, voters, what, whatever, you know, conservatives uh, who are, who are pushing for two things, school choice and tax cuts or tax rebates. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be pretty loud, right? They're going to be pretty loud pushing. We want this tax rebate. We want the school choice bill. Well, what ends up actually passing may look a lot different than what is introduced. And I'm curious yeah. how that influence sort of works because take on the school choice part. If the legislature doesn't pass this ESA, you know, price bill, Mm -hmm. um, then you're going to have some groups out there to say you failed. You you all failed to pass school choice. When they could also go and do something on charter schools that is also school choice. So, I'm, I think there are some dynamics at play that might be interesting to watch in terms of how politics um, and political groups are influential, especially on these two kind of related issues. Yeah, I'm just I'm really just not sure yet how how to read what might be presented or what really has a chance. And I just keep thinking about Senator Marsh and if he wasn't successful last year, what it would take to be significant with a, a really big bill that some of these folks want. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, and maybe that maybe this bill is locked and loaded somewhere, um, but I haven't seen it yet. And yeah, and, and we're a month out, and it's so you would expect to see some kind of rollout. I mean, that's yeah, I feel like this has to be like a gas tax kind of situation where right. everybody's on board, everybody's got their ducks in a row, or whatever you know, whatever expression you want to use, poop in a group and, <laughs> and ready to go. Um, because these things fall apart quickly. Yeah, big pushes like that, gas tax, ARPA, you know, you, you well, you probably need the governor behind it. Um, right. And she, and so, I mean, she's signaled that she's schooled for, for more choice, but I'm not sure we've seen exactly what that looks like. Yeah, I'm not sure. It would be a good question. We need to bring her in the weeds and ask we her about ESAs. Gina, I know you're listening. <laughs> I'll work on that. I'm pretty sure she was my very first guest. So, well, so she's like four years ago. So anyway, well, look, we're, we're kind of running out of time, but that was fun. And let's, that was fun. That was great. Thank you. Representative uh, Collins. Yeah, that was, that was fun. So everybody listening, thank you very much for tuning in to in the weeds. Please uh, rate us, rate us on Apple podcasts, obviously five stars and leave a review. That's the best way 
to help others find the podcast and reach more people um, with our fun and interesting and influential guests. So with that, uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.